So we're sitting down with the innovators, middle managers to CEOs who are on the front lines of digital transformation to see how they did it and what they learned. That's the important thing with change, right? Is that whether you're making change or adjusting to change, it's really about focusing on the people. So join us as we uncover gritty perspectives on turnaround jobs, prioritization, road mapping, user behavior insights, and scaling organizations. Our guest today is Andrea Goulet, CEO of Corgi Bytes. And our topic is transformation. What got you here can get you there. We're going to talk about the Theseus paradox and passion and purpose versus strategy. And how you need different kinds of engineers and thinkers on your team. So let's get into it. Our guest today is Andrea Goulet the CEO of Corgi Bytes, a software company that joyfully modernizes software applications to make them more stable, scalable, and secure. She also, fun fact, has a JavaScript tattoo, and she'll show it to you if you ask her if she knows how to code. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. So our, our theme, Andrea, is uh, today is, is steering a team or organization through growth. Um, sort of a, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Uh, motif and, and sort of exploring how to lead through those those times of transition and and so I wanted to ask you is there uh, what what's a significant growth uh, moment for you that you've been a part of leading through? Yeah, so Corgiis has been around twelve years now, and you know we I joined um, year eleven, so I've been doing this for eleven years now. And when I first joined, it was. A friend from high school who approached me at a high school reunion said, Hey, I love to code and I love to fix bugs and my bosses won't let me do the work I like to do. So can you help me figure out how to be a consultant doing this so that I can do the work I like to do? And uh, prior to that, you know, I have a degree in business and marketing. And um, so it was like, okay, this will be fun. And so it started... I mean, my buy-in with the company was like 100 bucks. It was just a total side hustle. And you know now we've grown it, and you know we've got a staff of about twenty, and you know it's uh, and we're continuing to grow. So it, there have been many kind of points along the way, and I I know that there will be many more. I think the biggest thing is sometimes that when you're growing, it feels like an accordion. <laughs> like we've gone through several um, times over the years where we've had to grow and then contract and then go grow and then contract. And I know that kind of in the environment that we're in today, a lot of people are kind of in that contracting area and that can be really scary. But what we found is, yes, it, it takes a different mindset, but it takes a lot of adaptability and just kind of looking at what, what needs to happen right now. And it's that I think it was Eisenhower who said, you know, planning is indispensable, but plans are useless. And it's it's that kind of idea where you want to think through your business plan, you want to think through kind of your product, you know, roadmap. And then at the same time, when something happens, like, you know, for us, we had lost a big client several years ago. And so it was like, you know, we had to figure out how to deal with that. And now I know we've, with COVID, like there's a lot of stuff going on. And so there's things that just kind of come out of the blue that you have to be prepared to just toss your plans out the window and then be really responsive. So I think the big thing for me that was kind of the the turning point was that when I went to business school, I learned how to run a very efficient organization. So everything was 
here's the number of widgets and here's the margins and here's your fixed cost and your variable cost and here's how you take X inputs, run them through Y process and get Z outputs. And for me, Agile was like a complete mindset shift. I I really struggled for the first maybe six years, just even understanding what it was, why you would want to do it, because it was so counter to everything I had learned and had been taught and had seen work in my previous jobs. Um, But then once I realized that really agile is just about having a healthy team, communicating really well, and being responsive when change happens because change is inevitable, then I was like, oh, okay. And so to me, I think reframing agility as responsiveness was was a really really big shift and and once that happened and i think also once we had gotten our positioning like that those two things happened around the same time that's when we went from kind of scott and i out of you know oh a few years after i got um after scott and i started as business partners we also got married we got married a few years later so Sometimes I'm like, we were at our house and people are like, what? And like, you live with your business partner? It's like, well, now I do, yes. So, um, but yeah, so I think that that was kind of a key. So, so both understanding the positioning, understanding kind of what the problem was in the market that we were trying to solve, and then also enabling our operations so that we could execute a plan, but then also change on a dime really quickly when, when external factors required us to. I think that's as you talk about that accordion of what makes you expand and contract. What were some things that give you going through, that surprised you where you really had to make one of those adjustments? We had to yeah, go from I, we I, thought we were exp- expanding, but ooh, hold on, we got to contract. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first one was a few years in. We had an original business model that just didn't pan out. Like when we looked at everything kind of on paper, it was like, of course this will happen. Like, so this was around 2010. The app store had just been launched. There was a big demand for building apps and kind of just getting into the app store, like taking an idea. So we were like, oh, well, this is great. So my background in marketing, and then I also worked as a writer doing content strategy, and I was a copywriter for years. And we live in a town that has a really thriving um, arts and design culture. So there are tons and tons and tons of independent graphic designers. So our original business model was, let's create kind of... We're two legs of a stool is kind of how we thought of it. And so our original business model was, let's partner with all of these independent designers who want to build apps, but don't know how to code and don't know how to write copy. And Mm -hmm. like, sounds great, right? Like there's plenty of demand, like the market needed it. But what we found was that uh, a, no one had cash. Everyone wanted us to do this work for yeah, free. free. Exposure. You'll get exposure. Exactly. And, um, you know, we can't pay the rent with, with, uh, <laughs> with, with that. So, uh, and the other thing was that we found that Scott doesn't really like doing that type of work. That I am very much a, um, like rapid prototyper, like, in, you know, innovator, like get the idea out there as fast as possible. And Scott is very focused on quality and like thorough testing. And so what we found was that his working style 
didn't match what we were trying to develop. So he ended up going really, really slow. And just it it, it kind of wasn't the right fit. And so even though everything like logically on paper looked great and like we had all of our numbers and like it just in reality didn't happen. So what we ended up doing for a while was we we shut down the business and we just kept it on a simmer. Like we kept we paid our taxes. I had a couple of freelance clients that, you know, kind of ran through the business. But you know, we kept the website going. But we both got quote real jobs <laughs> for a while. And um, you know, worked at consulting companies. And it was really interesting having kind of run a business for about three years. We had we had quit our jobs and were doing it full time for for about a year and a half. And it was really humbling to have to kind of walk away from that. But at the same time, it was the right move because we couldn't invest in it anymore. And we knew it wasn't working. Like it just, you know, we weren't getting traction. It felt really hard. And honestly, at that point, it kind of felt like almost a relief. Like, okay, I can go work for someone else. And like, I don't have to stress about, you know, kind of all of the, I can just like do a task. But a couple of years later, like we just had the itch to get back into it. And so then it was, what do we do now? And so taking those lessons that we learned and saying, okay. And that was, I think, where we got the positioning of legacy code. Because I asked Scott, like, okay, if you could do literally anything in the world, what would you do? And I think that was a question that I had forgotten to ask the first time that we built the company. I looked at what the market needed. I didn't look at what Scott loved to do. And so now when I... Now, every once in a while, I consult on kind of market positioning and things like that. I think the first question I always get people to ask is, what's the purpose? Why are you doing this? And it's not necessarily to serve the market, but it's like, are you trying to generate revenue? Are you trying to pursue a passion? Are you trying to build a legacy? Are you just itching to get something creative? Do you see a glaring problem that needs to be solved? And I think once you get that, then you look at the people. So who are the people that you want to work with? Who are the people that you need to connect with? And once you have those, I think if you're working with the people that you love and you're doing the thing that you love, then you will get the energy to keep going through those hard times. And so after you've answered those two questions, then you look at kind of the product or the service and you know, kind of like, well, what problem can I create within you know, this little area? And then the next would be prose. So like, what kind of words would you use to describe that? And so that was kind of the process that I developed in terms of positioning Corgi Bites. Mm-hmm. And it worked really well because then Scott, we, we watched um, an episode of This Old House and he was like that. I was like, you want to quit software and remodel houses now? And he's like, <laughs> he said, I want to take that level of craft and mm-hmm. detail that that they do as opposed to this other show where it's all about flipping and like doing it on the cheap and cutting corners. He's like, I don't want to cut corners. I want to seamlessly integrate the old and the new. And so once I had that, I was like, okay. And I was like, if you did that all day long, He's like, I would be happiest person in the world. I just want to chew through bug lists and mm-hmm. you know product backlogs and I would love it. And that didn't make a lot of sense to me, but I was like, okay. And so then we looked at kind of who would need this. And it's, you know, there's a That's lot a of legacy list. code out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Turns out there's a, there's a deep yeah. well of demand for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, I think then, you know, figuring out, okay, well, how are we going to create a product. And that was a lot of trial and error, right? So we used a lot of the lean design principles. Um, 
where it was we would toss something out in the market and see, and we would try different pricing models and we would try different you know ways to describe it, and we would do. And so now we've kind of settled into something that is a little bit more stable, where we basically do what we call a code inspection. So some you know drawing on the metaphor of the house, we kind of do a comprehensive audit of a system, and then you know kind of pinpoint if you want to achieve these business goals, here's where in the code you need to. Yeah. to focus on and then actually do that work as a follow-up. Some some clients just need the audit and others, you know, kind of want that ongoing development. But but really then, you know, kind of creating that philosophy and being, you know, thought leader, although that word I feel can be a little buzzy. But, <laughs> it's a little it's a little weird. Yeah, but, yeah, but it's, that's those but people who guide yeah, you. Putting putting our own ideas out there, I think is yeah. is and so sharing kind of here's what we're seeing here are patterns that we're noticing you know and and doing it from a place of like we're genuinely we haven't seen this before let us share and that's and so we do a lot of speaking and things like that and and that then got us traction because we kept doing more and we found other people who love <laughs> doing this too so um so yeah so that that I think is the big difference is that we didn't have traction the first time. And and now it's like, okay, we we can sustain this. It's hard. We're gonna, you know, we're being impacted, you know, kind of by the the external state of affairs right now. And at the same time, it's like, okay, I think we can navigate through this. And, you know, here's kind of how we might do things differently. And I don't know if I mean, I know people listening can't see, but I have a um a poster right behind me and it says, if at first you don't succeed, call it version 1.0. <laughs> or even better, zero dot one. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, think I was going to say that I think you mentioned around the time of apps, and and when I started working on apps, I think a lot of people, and which has also come back now that we're dealing with COVID, is that a lot of people want the new shiny thing. Yeah, but then they don't invest in those underlying systems that will serve it with the most relevant content or get you in quickly or um, that there's that whole connection, that delivery or, you know, they think of it as plumbing and it's dark and dirty and everybody needs a plumber sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is there's a bias towards innovation, like the new shiny, right? And uh, yeah, there's... A great um, Andrew Russell and Lee Vinsel, they have a community called the Maintainers, and they're coming out with a book in September. And they talk about this about how there's an immense amount of innovation and maintenance, but we've really lionized this culture of the only thing that happens in innovation is something new. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of innovation in taking something that exists and transforming it so that you can extend that life because. There's a lot of creativity. I think the 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 archetype that I've seen that kind of comes to mind, and I may be dating myself, but there's a movie Office Space, and it's like Milton who has the stapler, and it's like just go down to the basement. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think so- software maintenance yeah. for a long time has had that kind of stigma, and I think a lot of it is the way the projects are managed, right? Because you can get budget if you build something new, but then the uh, Sarah Allen actually, when she works when she worked at 18F, had a great um, article and uh, software maintenance is an anti pattern. And mm-hmm. the the idea is that if you build 
a product and then just go, oh, okay, now I'm on maintenance. I'm just going to put it down into the skeleton crew. And, you know, those are the maintenance people that you really don't get the most out of your product because what you want to do is constantly transform what you've got into something new. And so a, a great um, um, kind of metaphor for this is there's the um, Theseus paradox. So this is kind of a philosophical thing. But in Greece, every year to celebrate, you know, kind of a big uh, battle, they had sent out this boat, uh, the boat of Theseus. And every year it came back, like they would send it across the sea and then it would come back. And then every year they would maintain it and they would replace a board or two because, you know, it needed something. And so the paradox is, when do you have a new boat? Because the whole, the boat has been intact the entire time. You've had continuity of the, of the system. Mm-hmm. And yet at some point, every aspect of that system is completely new. Our bodies are very similar, right? Our cells constantly yeah. regenerate at different rates. And so I think you can look at systems like these. And I think that's much more in line with what a software system is. Um, we no longer exist in an era of I'm shipping something on a CD-ROM and then I will like create something new that is like a physical thing. Like now it's it's something that's constantly transforming. So recognizing and like when I went to business school, there was the there was that kind of arc of you know kind of product timeline where you had you know introduction, growth, maturity, and then decline. And part of when we were, um, when Scott and I were first doing this and kind of putting together our first kind of talk, I was like, I think there might be something around this. And I showed him and he's like, well, that's a linear uh, graph and we're agile at this company. So you have to make it a circle. (laughs) And I was just like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, that makes no sense. (laughs) And, um, but then I was like, fine. draws it up. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, fine, I'll draw it into a circle. I was like, this makes no sense because then you don't decline, you transform so that you can innovate more. Oh my gosh, this is brilliant. So uh, you've got a curly (laughs) Q. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that's kind of the idea is like we've been trained and it's a 20th century mindset to think that you create a product and then it declines and then you go and create another product. Instead, the innovation happens in the transformation and, and so and that yes. you can innovate more. Your story, what's interesting about your story is, is um, and I'm, I'm just seeing this now, but like you you have a version of Corgi Bytes that started and you had to end it in order to re- to transform yeah. into new things. So you saw growth and decline, yeah, and then and then rebirth, and and yet we're saying with products you you shouldn't you shouldn't have that cycle, right? It should be more of the continuous cycle. And now and now that's the premise of of the new version of yeah. your company. So so, but I mean at the that. same time, I mean we never like the business kept going. We always paid our taxes. Like the website stayed yeah. up, the bank accounts stayed open, right? So, so there was continuity, even though the business model changed and we kind of, you know, scaled back to bare bones. But, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I think you have to scale back way more than other times. But yeah, and I think there's the, now it's like, there's just this constant questioning of, you know, how are we doing this and can we experiment? Um, and yeah, I think the idea too, is you want to have a lot of different kind of ways of thinking, um, mm-hmm. Because if you just have people like me who are rapid prototypers, like 
I have, uh, like when something's going well and we're in that kind of maturity phase, which is kind of where we are now, I tend to stick my finger in the pie and be like, let's mess it up and like find something and change it all. <laughs> right. And so it's like, here, go over here, Andre, and experiment with something new. So, so within that, so there, there's, there's something really, um, and, and I, well, I think you've answered this, but I want to highlight it in case you had more to say on it, which is as you're making that pivot, there are pieces that you decide to keep and there are pieces that you decide to jettison. Yes. Like for anyone who's going through this type of like, I'm not sure we've got it figured out yet. And they're trying to make that that pivot. How do you make that choice? Like it, it, I, I feel in your story, you sort of suggested that getting alignment between the service you wanted to provide and Scott's passion was was part of the question you needed to unlock. So you had something that was uniquely you, your your team that you could bring to the market. But is, is there more to it? How would you as a principal help other leaders who are trying to navigate that pivot, how do you decide what to keep and what to get rid of? Yeah, I think for us, we got really clear when, well, let's hear. So so first of all is, you know, are you getting traction, right? Because there is a point of like, I'm just doing this thing. I know it'll work. And and some of it is instinct, I think. Some of it is intuition that you've you've you know this market, and maybe you just know that people kind of haven't gotten there yet, and so you just got to stick with it. But other times, like we weren't there, you know, we weren't necessarily trying to introduce introduce something new. We were, and it just became clear that there's no energy here. Like we won't be able to push through this. And so mm-hmm. I think taking an honest look at your understanding of the market because there are times when you absolutely want to push through and introduce something new and you know but i think that you've got to be really really honest about what it takes to do that and mm-hmm. recognize there's a lot of risk and it's like stomach churning sometimes to be able to to do that and if you genuinely feel like what I'm doing is going to change the world and this is amazing and we've got to do this. And there's definitely a reason to sometimes keep going even when no one else sees it. But in our case, we were attempting a business model and it just didn't kind of fit. And we were like trying to make it work, but more from an intellectual level, more than like from a passion, like the world needs this. It was, I don't want to work in a corporate company. So, so, so I think the part of it is looking at that purpose, right. And, and our purpose was less of like, we're going to change the world with what we're doing at, at least in the beginning. That's such an insightful question though. Like, is this, can you align purpose and energy at your, at your mm -hmm. core, right. Deeper than the mind, like can this work, but, but at a deeper level, I mean, that, that is a sneaky, insightful question, I think to, to ask and answer for yourself through a pivot. That's really yeah, easy. and so then you when we read strategy, but not purpose, like you yeah. can you can change your strategy. There are many ways to achieve that purpose, yeah. and there are many people with which you can serve in your way you achieve that purpose. Yeah, you can change that. Yeah, but that purpose, I think, is the one that is it's it's a it's a rational and emotional yeah driver. Yes. That's very, very hard to change. And usually when that needs to change is when people exit a company. Yes. And the purpose shifts. Yes. Then they, that's usually when someone has to exit because that, that it just start or not just someone, but lots of someone sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because 
it now, but I think you can change the strategy as long as you're flexible like you are, which is like, you know what? We're, we're right purpose, wrong strategy, not getting traction. I can change that. Yeah. Around the same time that we kind of had scaled down, I was like, well, I really love building businesses and, you know, this whole idea of purpose. I really dug in, like a lot of the clients that I was working with kind of on the freelance side was about how do you integrate empathy in your communications and different things like that. And I knew I worked a lot with like brand style guides and just mm-hmm. noticed a pattern that the companies that had very, very clear mission statements, vision statements, and core value statements were the ones that got the fastest traction. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna build a business and like I'm gonna help people write their mission and vision and core values. Like this was when we were like kind of shut down and was like, what are we gonna yeah. do differently? And so when we decided to reinvest in Corgi Bites and and bring it back up again. That was the very first thing that we did. I was like, we have to get super clear on why we are doing this. And I'm not, you know, Simon Sinek has a great book, Start With Why. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing is like, people go, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And what I see, I think honestly too often is that in a lot of the consulting books of like how to build a product, usually come up with a mission statement is reduced down to have a two-hour workshop and then come up with your mission statement. And it's so much deeper than that. I mean, for for Scott and I, it was a year of ongoing conversations. And like, why are we doing this? And like, we would go on walks and just like really talk and really get clear. And I think that was the thing. I didn't take the time to really understand the first time that we did things around. But... Now it's like, you know, and it's it's one of the things that honestly makes us different because like there's very purposeful, like we joyfully modernize. Like, yeah. like and that is like different, but it's like for Scott, he's like, I freaking love paying down technical debt and I want to work with people who are just as excited. Like, so there's this element of like celebration yeah. and glee and like giddiness. And that emerged because that's the purpose. Like Scott's you know, Scott's purpose was he has this like joy and passion and he felt like there was no community. And yeah, there's the, you know, kind of secondary reason of we want to make money doing this so that we can support ourselves. But the the primary reason is Scott's like, I have these ideas that I need to share with the world. And so once I understood that, I was like, oh my gosh, no wonder that didn't work before. Yeah. So um yeah, and then you know, coming up with the vision, and I think the other thing is core values, which is what are the behavioral norms that you're going to expect. So one that came out of this is calm the chaos, which you know from from our conversation. So we've got five um, five core values. We've got act with empathy, calm the chaos, communication is just as important as code, crafting context, and adopt a growth mindset, and like those core values like have served us like. Every time we have to make a decision, we go back to those and say, "How? Like, how, what's the thing that we should do?" And like, for example, me, I am not a calm the chaos person. I am a create chaos kind of person, right? But in the context of, in order to joyfully modernize, we have to use our prefrontal cortex. We have to calm the adrenaline. Like because that's the that's the sphere that we're working within, and so I have to constantly adjust in order to do that. But it's the right decision for the company. And now that we have that clear, it makes decision making so much easier. And 
I just think that that's something that I'm so glad that we did and it continues to serve us and it continues to help us attract people, right? The right clients, because if, if these don't resonate with you or, you know, the right staff. So I think taking the time to really come up with mission statements, vision statements, and core value statements that truly define what you're trying to do in the world and how you're trying to do it. You can come up with products and you know solutions and stuff all day long. Like you said, just the the strategy, there's infinite number of things, but but getting super clear on that purpose, I think was the was the real tipping point for us. One one of the things that I often reflect on is is how the Agile Manifesto, when done well, is not Scrum or Kanban or any of those are like yeah. starters, right? Like, yeah. but the question you should be asking yourself all the time is, are we how are we doing on the principles? Right? The principles are yeah. what help get better. The practices are fungible. We can completely yes. be non agile in our practices and be a very agile culture, or vice versa. And I'd much rather be. Agile in our culture and our and our principles. Yes, building highly valuable software, you know, and and all the all the the, the important things that that Agile has lent to us. Um, yeah, so I, those those values make a lot. It makes a lot of sense why why those are important. And also, it's all too common for us to. Uh, I don't know if, if you two have had this experience, but I've I've watched companies bolt values onto a culture as a oh, yeah. management tool rather than authentically operating from values. There's a big difference. There um, is. And, yeah. yeah. And I think what I see a lot of time, like it's that like, oh, come up with a, you know, do a two hour strategy session. And it's like, okay, innovation, honesty. And and I think the challenge there is that, uh, yeah, those are kind of bare minimums, like, you know, integrity. Like I, I would hope that you guys operate with integrity. I hope that you're being honest in your business dealings. Right. But I think the other thing is coming up with a kind of catchphrase almost. Like for us, it's like calm the chaos. Like that is us. That's who we are. And that came out of the um, like healthy conflict of this doesn't make sense. And looking back at the manifesto, it's like, we should be able to go at a sustainable pace indefinitely. And mm-hmm. if we can't, you know, and here's how we get to it. And it's like, but sometimes there's this. And, and then, you know, like on our websites, like we've got that catchphrase, but then we also have like, you know, a few sentences that really define what that is. And so then that way there's this aspect of clarity. Whereas I feel like something like, you know, like there's just one word, it it's open for interpretation a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's not easy to get to because it does require this like deep soul searching. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it's so fun. <laughs> so um where we so yeah, brought the humanity back into the system, right? Yeah. Humanity. Yeah. 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 So you know, um, given that one of the one of the questions that I have is is sort of like how, especially since given your story, how do you look at pacing change now? Now that you're you're back up to to twenty employees, right? You've gone through this this rather uh, stark pivot, right? Where you you, you went back down to the studs, rebuilt yeah. the organization. Now yeah. you're twenty people. You're navigating COVID. How do you how do you think about the pace of change um, as you as you navigate? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that you never want sales to outpace operations. Um, you 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 have got to think through how can I make sure that I will serve the customers that I bring in. So you're you're thinking about operations pre sales, um, and so for us right now, we 
are in a little bit of a slower period. And so we're investing in efficiency, right? We're investing in how do we make these code inspections faster? Because, you know, and we're still definitely doing sales. Um, we're actually increasing sales. I think that's something too, is that, um, you know, marketing is typically the first thing to go in, um, you know, kind of a downturn, but you should actually do the opposite. This is when you should be hitting the pedal on the gas. And then when things yeah. turn back around, like hopefully you'll reap the benefits and, you know, assuming that you've got kind of the operational cash flow to do that. And that can be hard. But kind of that's where we are now. It's like we're, we've brought on a technical sales manager who's amazing and is kicking ass. I'm sorry, kicking butt. <laughs> and <laughs> Not a problem. You're good. Don't even worry about it. She's killing it, right? She's, she's really invested in like, but people are hesitant to talk now. And so, you know, we're being very strategic and, you know, of like what kind of activities. And a lot of it is in strengthening our internal operations so that we can go faster on the other side. Um, because now we are at a point where it's like, no, we are doing something special. We've got to keep this going. Whereas before it was like, we're kind of doing it to pay the bills and like not have to work for someone else. And that's very different. So now we're at the point where it's like, okay, we're going to push through, like, let's invest, like, let's figure this out. Like, and there is that drive and there is that passion of like, we're got to figure out how to keep this going. So, you know, my, my biggest thing I think is, you know, think about operations just as much as sales. They, they are not different departments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, customer service is just as much about sales. You know, user experience is just as much about sales. And too often we think of sales as kind of the scripts or the emails that go out. And those are just activities. Really, everything in an organization is set up to serve your customers. And so how can you how can you invest in make and it's the same with a software system, right? Like how can you pay down some of that technical debt? I think we sometimes get a you know organizational debt because when we go really, really, really fast, we take these shortcuts. And you know, when when you're in the best of cases, you want to, you know, go back and kind of like fix some of these operational inefficiencies that you've learned along the way. Um, and so there is that cycle of kind of creating something new, but also correcting what you what you already have. And it needs to be a balance because what I've seen over the years is that people get so hungry for growth that they end up not being able to deliver on what they've promised. And that can wreck an organization. It can wreck your reputation. Um, and it can be really hard to, to recover from. And you know, sometimes that's the right move, right? If mm-hmm. you know, you've got a competitor nipping at your heels and you know, but there's a there's a, a book by Patrick Lencioni um, called the the advantage that really yeah. caught me um, because it is about you know being able to fulfill what you promise and as organizations yes. grow you have specialists people who sell people who who uh, provide the work or the service but the more integrated the 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 company can be the 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 greater uh, yeah. the greater fidelity you're going to have on what you promised and what you deliver and and that ultimately is is really important to long term success you know it's funny we we've uh, you know, three pillars grown to the point where we just came through a pivot. I think a lot of things you're talking about are things that Jess and I have. have Organizational debt. I've I've caused a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guilty as charged. Yes, yeah. I, if, if you're wondering, it's very funny that your Scott is the one who likes to fix things, and this Scott is the one who fixed the messes that I created when I was like, "Grow, yeah." So yeah, yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, and it's like knowing when. 
when the person should take the leave. Like, I think, you know, one of the things like, I I mean, I was in business for myself a long time. And I think that if you're, you know, kind of uh, a one person founding team, that can be really, really tough. Because what I've noticed is it's kind of like doing a cross country trip where like, I'll be in the driver's seat during phases of growth because that's like what excites me. And I'm like, let's do something new. Let's innovate. Let's try these new things here. Let's try this code inspection. Let's experiment, blah, 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 blah. And now that we're like, okay, let's sustain, let's fix. Like I'm taking a step back, replenishing my energy. And now Scott is kind of a little bit more out front because that's what the company needs. And so it's like, if you're taking a, you know, a trip across, you know, the United States going from like, you know, New York to LA, like you're not gonna be able to do it all in one shot. <laughs> Typically you're gonna have to rest. And, you know, if you can change drivers sometimes like that, you just I think that's kind of being responsive and yeah. recognizing what does what energy does the project need and am I the right person to provide that energy? And that can be so hard. I don't know about you, Jess, but like in this period now where it's like it rationally and strategically makes the most sense for me to kind of step back. A little bit and I it's hard. It's hard from an ego standpoint. Like, but um, but Scott's doing great and like he's it's fun to watch him shine, but then it, there's like a little bit of an ego bruise of almost like, oh, I'm not needed anymore. But that's not true. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. no, it feels like your it. energy like creating the next new thing behind us, right? So but it yeah. but it does require a lot of like honesty with your with yourself and your your kind of ego and like you know it's there's a lot of personal learning comes along the so way to, yeah to 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 be at these so I've been with three pillars through six years and through crazy growth and so many transformations and there were moments where like I was the right person in the right chair go put that fire out go make that thing which feels like really good yeah and then there are, there are definitely been moments and, and more of them recently than not where it's like, I can't, I, 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 to be honest, like this problem doesn't excite me and this work is important. I totally recognize that the work is important and this has to be yeah. done and it's taken attention and, 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 I, and I'm not good at it. And I'm yeah. not serving the company. And I'm not serving my team by trying to do work that is not su- right for me. And yeah. it was a, and thankfully, I have Scott, this one, <laughs> um, to help guide me through that part. But yeah, it was it was super hard. But then to real, then to all of a sudden come around to it and be like, that thing, yeah. I got that thing. I yeah. can beat the crap out of that thing. I can really be like, it, it, like we COVID, COVID was like, for me, it was like, oh, marshal troops, put fires out, get oh, God, I got this, yeah, I got it, I got it, like pull it together, get everybody organized, get things running. Good. Yeah. And then so, or like reinvent or change and things. So I, I think it's a, it's a, a journey that everybody has to go on. That's not always easy as you evolve through, but the self-awareness of is, is tremendously valuable because I can tell you what happens when the self-awareness isn't there and the yeah. partners and the respect for other people, what other people bring to the table from a cognitive perspective. Yeah. I have gone into so many organizations where people did not have that and you're trying to get them there. Yeah. And it's really, really hard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, the Agile Manifesto, that's, I mean, that to me is is kind of everything 
you know, like you said, Scott, you know, kind of everything else is tools in a tool belt. You know, if I need to use Scrum, you know, to get this new product launch, or if I need to use Kanban because I've got a, you know, backlog I need to pay down. But at the end of the day, it's do we have people who are invested and have we created a culture of openness and honesty? Like you mentioned Patrick Lencioni, you know, five dysfunctions of a team. That's huge. Like for me, when I read that, I would like trust is at the bottom. It's like, okay, yeah. The next one is healthy conflict. And I was like, what? Like you want conflict on a team? That doesn't make any sense. Right. But I think looking at some of these kind of structures, they've they've really helped us. And a lot of it is that cross-functional teams, right? So getting people from all sorts of different perspectives, knowing like, okay, this person should take the lead on this project at this time because of this. And like just being able to pull a bunch of levers. And I think, you know, understanding the difference too between a team and a collection of individuals. Because, you know, if I'm somebody who's just like, this is what I need to do. I'm kind of like going off as an individual contributor. That can be amazing. But when you need to change and grow and adapt and like people's skills need to move up and down and like, then it's like you have to work as a cohesive unit. And um, yeah, we've taken, you know, a lot of, a lot of inspiration from the Agile Manifesto. I mean, that's, that's the main point. We don't necessarily subscribe to a specific philosophy or methodology, but we do really focus on the culture. And I think that's, that's really served us well too. That's awesome. So we have, I can, we can keep going. I, I can think about it all day. All day <laughs> this never needs to end. <laughs> no, no, no. But also, here's funny. I followed you on Twitter for years and I didn't realize you were in Richmond. Like you're an yeah. hour and a half down 95 from us. So oh, we'll nice. I'll let you know next time I'm in town. <laughs> oh, please do. Yeah, yeah. We love Richmond. We grew up here and um, yeah, it's it's a great town. It's I call it Goldilocks City. It's not too big, not too small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We really love it here. So... So what is one piece of technology, analog, digital, whatever, that is not your phone or your dishwasher? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, wait, did you pick dishwasher? Um, that you no, cannot live without. I'm just saying dishwasher because like I would just die. I run that thing like four times a day now. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Like I've I, I have uh, Scott and I have two young kids, and so I've been kind of taking point on them, and it's been interesting, like uh there's been just kind of ideas like they're tumbling over. I think when you're an innovator, that's kind of the way it happens. It's yeah. almost rock. Like I think of it as like rocks being polished. Like they just kind of have to yeah. tumble. And so yeah. I've actually really enjoyed washing dishes by hand because it's like a quietness. There's like a Zen oh, kind of meditation yeah. to it. So it's, it's it. interesting how like things that I'm like, nope, don't have time for it now. Like I'm like, no, I've got this like idea I need to chew on. Let me just kind of do something. So anyway, but yeah. the thing I think is a is, um, paper and pen. Um, which is yeah. funny because my brother actually has a company called Goulet Pens and he sells fountain pens and specialty paper, which is oh. kind of cool. But yeah, so... so It sounds like you don't need to be them to be specialty. You just need a paper and pen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I think there's something like, you know, I've got... I know you guys can't see it who are listening, but, you know, I just You're have a book by my desk and like it's a high quality one. It's Lystrom. And like I've invested in... The my daughter was like that color. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter too. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's the graph one. Like it's the one I like, like I'll do hand yeah. lettering. Like, I mean, some of it's kind of that, you know, bullet journal ish thing, but I'm yeah. not, I think I get draw inspiration from that community, but I'm not necessarily like kind of focused there, but like, yeah, just, there is something about the tactile and slowness that like it forces my brain to slow down. I have ADHD. So like my brain just goes a bajillion miles That's an hour. Same. 
<laughs> we need to hang out. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so there's just something about like pausing and like writing stuff down that, you know, I'll be in a meeting and it's like, you know, just kind of taking, just writing down words, not necessarily transcribing or thinking things word for word, but it helps me like synthesize my ideas. And I think when you're, when you're having a thousand ideas a minute, it can be hard to like kind of figure out which ones really shine through. And so for me, like just finding time, which can be so hard, but using time of kind of like where you're not, you know, quote needed as much to put out those Mm -hmm. fires and just like recognizing that even though the output might not be as high that you're still working, this is something I'm struggling with where I'm like, you know, 80% of my work these days is thought work. It's like mm-hmm. thinking through problems and thinking through ideas. And it's like, I'm not typing on a keyboard with a lot, with a high degree of output. And yet I'm still working and I'm still contributing. And so, yeah. yeah. And so for me, like having a paper and pen, at least, you know, kind of helps me think, you know, have some kind of output, even if I'm not sharing it with everyone broadly yet, because the ideas aren't fully formed. That's something for me. So, yeah. Other question that we'd like to ask is what tells you when a team is healthy or unhealthy? What do you look for? That sign that things are working or yeah. can I make a change here? Yeah, I think, you know, like after I read Five Dysfunctions of a Team, I look for healthy conflict, right? And I think there's there's two pieces of that, right? There's, you know, conflict of are people disagreeing or do you see groupthink, right? Because mm-hmm. I see this a lot. Like we have clients where it's like, there's one manager who calls the shots and like shames the rest of the team and no one is comfortable saying something different. And so then like technical debt accrues like crazy and like you can have Mm -hmm. the right practices in place. But, you know, if that one leader doesn't get it and they're telling people like, we don't need to test, like we see this a lot, like just build it without test suite, you know, (laughs) and, and like doesn't, quite understand that, you know, a test suite is kind of more like a seatbelt. It enables us to go fast. It's not something that's designed to slow us down. And, but if they don't get it and people don't feel comfortable or there's a culture of we can't question the leader, then it's really hard to get traction. It's really hard to, to kind of get movement. And I think the other piece is, is that healthy piece of, you know, our shame is huge and rampant. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that was one of the biggest things when I came from the marketing and business world. And then I came over to software. I was like, wow, like I can't post a question on Stack Overflow without like feeling like the stupidest person in the world. Like there's there is an immense amount of shame in the software industry. I mean, like in, even down to the tooling. Like if I want to figure out who made a change to the code base. I run the command git blame. I mean, that's how baked <laughs> in this stuff is in, in the software industry. Yeah. So, so do you have conflict that is open and honest and people can have that psychological safety and they know that they can take an emotional risk without fear of, you know, being embarrassed or, you know, shot down. So I think that there's that, those two sides of it. Do people feel like, they can speak up and they'll they can take risks and do they feel like when they take risks they're you know not going to be shamed and blamed so so to me i think that that piece in particular you can you can learn a lot 
That's wonderful. Thank you so much. I really, what a great conversation. We could totally go on for now. And you're pretty active speaking and keynotes and check you out on Twitter and if to see. So I would definitely encourage our listeners to check out more of it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I've got, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I've got a few courses on LinkedIn learning. I've got one on um, agile software development for remote teams, which if that's pretty pretty useful now. now. Yeah. Yeah. I recorded that a a couple of years ago. And then the other one is actually creating an agile culture. And that one, I, oh my God, I had so much fun. So, so that talks about like hero culture and, you know, Mm And like a lot of these things, how to have healthy communication, how to negotiate. I think that's a skill that like mm-hmm. we don't teach people, but it's so important. So, um, so looking through that. So I've got some classes there. Yeah. And then just, you know, I, I try to be as act- I'm a little less active these days just because there's so much going on. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I blog pretty regularly. I love kind of thinking through different ideas and, and, you know, definitely try to be open and, you know, just, Here's my perspective and love having conversations about this, like about kind of the like digital, like uh, like kind of the philosophies and systems thinking. Like, oh my God, I can clearly geek out about this fruit. Oh, you <laughs> don't start Scott on systems. Can we? <laughs> we won't go on for another three hours. Yeah. <laughs> Andrea, thank you so much. This has been a really this is a fantastic conversation. There's a lot, lot packed in here that's uh, good for our listeners. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Yes, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. This has been an episode of The Innovation Engine, a podcast from Three Pillar Global. If you have questions, comments, or guest suggestions, email us at info at threepillarglobal.com or visit threepillarglobal.com.